Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily D.C., We're once again podcasting from the lovely Holiday Inn in downtown, historic Charleston, South Carolina, where our producers have built an incredible sound studio for us. Tonight, here in Charleston, seven candidates will take the debate stage. Uh, Tom Steyer back in the mix for this debate. He wasn't there last time. It is a hugely consequential debate as we are in this period uh, of this race that could be quite determinative of the outcome uh, of this race. Uh, I am joined by my colleague, Dan Merica, CNN political reporter, who is an expert in all things 2020, our man on the campaign trail, I like to say. Always excited to have you here, Dan. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me in another fort. In another fort. It's amazing. I have such a good <laughs> picture of you on it. I can't wait to post it. Um, I I woke up this morning after looking at our town hall with Bernie Sanders last night, and the first thought I had was, well, you know, if anyone thought that Bernie Sanders was going to sort of now wearing the mantle of frontrunner, step onto the town hall stage and say, ah, you know what, I probably should somehow subtly clean up those remarks about Fidel Castro's Cuba and the praise I'm giving his literacy program. It seems to have caused a bunch of controversy. Think again, that is not the Bernie Sanders style. What we are seeing here is somebody who um, believes in selling authenticity as one of his calling cards, and he quadrupled down on it. Yeah, he says what he says, and he means it, and he's not going to back down from something he said. And he has said, going back to the 1980s, you know, there's a long list of comments that Bernie Sanders has made about Cuba, about uh, different Latin American countries, about their dictatorial leaders that that he stands by, and it's kind of it's something that his supporters like about him. This idea that. He has held these beliefs for so long and still stands by them, even when they may not be politically expedient when you are the front runner in the Democratic race. And I think a lot it has a lot of Democrats who look at kind of the broader scheme of a general election if he were to be the nominee. You know, what does it mean for Florida? What well, is we're going to hear from one of those Democrats who expressed con- some concern about what it means. But first, I want you to hear what Bernie Sanders said. And it wasn't just Cuba. He started like roping in some praise for the way certain things are handled in China. I mean, Bernie Sanders is not a candidate who seems concerned about political controversy. There's something a little Trump-like in the way he finds himself in controversy and then sticks with it. Here he was on the whole Castro-Cuba thing last night. The response was when Fidel Castro first came to power, which was when? 59? Is that sound right? 59, 60. Okay. You know what he did? He initiated a major literacy program. It was a lot of Uh, a lot of folks in Cuba at that point who are literate. And he formed the Literacy Brigade. You may read that. He went out and they helped people learn to read and write. You know what? I think teaching people to read and write is a good thing. I have been extremely consistent and critical of all authoritarian regimes all over the world, including Cuba, 
including Nicaragua, including Saudi Arabia, including China, including Russia. I happen to believe in democracy, not authoritarianism. But, you know, you can't say China is another example. All right. China is an authoritarian country becoming more and more authoritarian. But can anyone deny? I mean, the facts are clear that they have taken more people out of extreme poverty than any country in history. Do I get criticized because I say that? That's the truth. So that is the fact. I just want you to explain to me uh, if you think the Sanders approach here, which is that authenticity at all costs, just stick with what you've been saying for decades. It sort of brought you here is a sustainable place to be uh, throughout this. Potentially, if he's the nominee throughout the general election, I ask that because I feel like the pundit class and the commentariat were looking at Donald Trump through all of 2016, saying any moment now is going to come the pivot where he realizes he has to talk to a general election audience. Bernie Sanders, again, not the same person as Donald Trump, but I do think has applied some of the lessons of Donald Trump's politics. Yeah, Donald Trump didn't need to pivot and, and didn't really at any point in his, his campaign. And I, I'm not sure Bernie Sanders feels like he needs to as well. He is banking on the fact that as a general election candidate, he can boost turnout with young people. He can boost turnout with people of color. And in many cases, doesn't need to kind of broaden his base because he and I think this may be a correct calculation that Democrats are so uh, offended by the candidacy and the presidency of Donald Trump that they'll be motivated enough to vote for inter ex Democrat here, that he doesn't need to necessarily broaden his base to attract those Democrats. Now, there are plenty of Democrats, operatives, the punditry type who think that is wrong. And there have been there have been countless people in South Florida, including the Florida Democratic Party, who have hit back at these Sanders commentary. I can't recall a state party. When I no. read, when I saw the state party put out a press release taking on Sanders, I, I, I here's somebody who's the front runner for the party's nomination and the state party's taking him on. But it gets at how the Florida Democratic Party has taken so many steps over the last dozen years to reach out to the Cuban community that has been, you know, predisposed to vote Republican and still does in large measure. But you've seen growth. Obama did okay with them. Hillary Clinton did a little well, bit better. Well, you see a generational shift. Yes. Really and so, so you point to the fact that, uh, you know, these Democrats are doing better with third and fourth generation Cubans as opposed to maybe the first and second generation Cubans. It is paramount to Florida Democrats not to reverse that and to lose those the Cuban community like they did maybe 30, 40 years ago. So the fact that a state party comes out and says, we don't agree with this, this is not okay, uh, is shocking. But I don't think it's going to be shocking if Bernie Sanders is the nominee in six months, because I think there are going to be these moments where he has positions that are maybe at odds with you know a state Democratic Party, a host of, of uh, representatives who represent communities or, or, or places where those those views are out of step. And I don't think he feels the need to, to back away from them. It's not just pundits or um, operatives, obviously. It is also his fellow candidates who express this concern and use it as a differentiator from him as they're trying to make their case. Buttigieg followed him on the town hall stage last night. And here's what the former South Bend mayor had to say. So this is part of what I'm getting at. When I say that in our one shot to defeat Donald Trump, we should think carefully about the consequences of nominating Senator Sanders. 
I don't want, as a Democrat, I don't want to be explaining why our nominee is encouraging people to look on the bright side of the Castro regime when we're going into the election of our lives. We need to stand unequivocally against dictatorships everywhere in the world. It allows him to take the high road without absolutely knocking Sanders on this point. It's, it's him basically saying, do we really want to deal with this, Democrats? He's not saying, you know, Bernie Sanders is coddling an authoritarian regime. He's what he's saying is that that as a party, we don't want to deal with the headaches that come with X issue. Right. Having to answer all the time for yeah. some issue. I, I, I take that point. Can I make a politically crass or electorally crass observation, though? I wonder if uh, the Cuban-American community lived in Pennsylvania, Michigan or Wisconsin if Bernie Sanders would be as unwilling to modify his past statement, I, because I don't know that Florida's electoral votes are actually part of Bernie Sanders' path to 270 and a calculation to 270 for him. And so I also just wonder if he doesn't think it's as third railish uh, in American politics for him to touch that uh, in a way that it may have been in previous election cycles where we've seen the Democratic nominee just fight all out for Florida, thinking that there was no way to win the presidency without Florida. Before Bernie Sanders made these comments about Fidel Castro, I think there were concerns that he would be the candidate in this race who would make it most difficult for Democrats to win back Florida, primarily because of his struggles with older voters, frankly, which there are millions. It's a real deficiency and, for yeah, him. Yeah, it's a serious deficiency. And you look at other candidates who are doing better with that community, who who just have a an appeal with the, the kind of voters that are in Florida. Uh, so there were concerns going in to, to the town hall and these comments about Fidel Castro. I think that uh, after this, I mean, Democratic operatives will say they think that he can still win Florida. But I think deep down privately that you're right. They think Florida is not necessarily his path to the presidency if he is the nominee. Okay, huge debate tonight uh, here in South Carolina. Uh, Tee us up a little bit. Well, I'll just say, last week in Vegas, Dan, I think so much attention was paid to Michael Bloomberg because he was brand new to the stage. I would imagine that's not going to happen as much tonight. I mean, maybe Elizabeth Warren will still do it, but it seems to me everyone is foreshadowing and previewing their Bernie Sanders attacks that they plan to deliver tonight. Yeah, heavy is the head that wears the crown, and he is certainly wearing the crown Tonight, And you're right. I think Elizabeth Warren has gotten a boost from Michael Bloomberg's candidacy, has released an ad today that goes after him, um, is, is probably going to be the candidate who goes after him the most. But otherwise, I think it's all Sanders all the time. You know, Biden will go after him for for comments he's made about Obama. Uh, you'll see even Tom Steyer released an ad that called his socialist policies ones that can't beat Trump. Pete Buttigieg has probably been the most aggressive at contrasting himself with Bernie Sanders, seeing him as the front runner, warning Democrats that uh, you know you have to wake up to the idea that if he's the nominee, X, Y, and Z could be a reality. So I think Bernie Sanders is certainly coming into this debate knowing that he is the target. I think all of these candidates have prepped and have probably have lines ready to go to go after uh, the Vermont senator. The question is, A, how does he respond to it? Does he get defensive? Does he get flustered? Does he? Does anyone land a serious punch? Um, and then the, the the other question is, how good are these candidates at, li- at landing these these punches? You know, Mike Bloomberg's candidacy or, or campaign is saying he's going to be ready. It's all about Bernie Sanders. But Mike Bloomberg didn't show the ability in the Las Vegas debate to really land a punch. 
you know, he struggled on that debate to kind of put together a coherent argument against these can against Bernie Sanders, especially. He maybe landed one punch, um, but can he coherently deliver an attack line against Bernie Sanders? I think is going to be a big question as well. Or can he just also? have a better debate performance defend, period, right? Defend I mean, just himself like defend as well. himself and get, I mean, he, he just seemed so, um, deer in headlights, not prepared for what that was going to be. A, a, and again, it was the ninth debate of the season for these other folks. And he was joining the program and like, I get it, but it was, uh, shocking to a lot of people to see how ill prepared he was to handle that moment. And I do think one thing, in addition to all the heat coming Sanders way is does Bloomberg steady the ship in some way? Because if he has another performance like he had in Las Vegas, which is hard to imagine that somebody could come back and not learn some tweaks to make to better your performance. But if he has a similar widely panned performance, um, I think this half a billion dollar investment and sort of project and experiment that he's been working on here is it may be all for naught real fast. The deep irony is that Michael Bloomberg got into this race to stop Bernie Sanders and his interest into this race has done nothing but help Bernie Sanders. And to take that one step further, say he fails again tonight, has to get out of the race at some point. He is pledged he is going to spend over a billion dollars to elect the Democratic nominee. It'll no be matter. a little awkward if Sanders is Exactly, that no matter who the nominee is. He has people on staff who are apparently hired through November. Imagine if Mike Bloomberg spent $500 million to try and elect himself and in a, in a bid to do that said, I, would, I will spend you know, X amount more millions of dollars to elect the nominee and that nominee ends up being Bernie Sanders. So which of these uh, Sanders attacks that you just ticked through, whether it is... Biden trying to drive a wedge between uh, Sanders and Obama supporters uh, here in South Carolina by bringing up this notion that he was going to primary uh, Obama back in 2012, something he actually denied he ever considered uh, on our town hall stage last night. Uh, that attack, the Bloomberg attack on guns that he's bought and paid for by the NRA, uh, the Buttigieg attack on his inflexibility and uh it's either revolution or nothing um, and not wanting to defend comments like the ones that we just played uh, about Castro or uh, Tom Steyer, just all out assault on socialism. That those are that that's what's been previewed. Which one do you think is poses the most danger to Bernie Sanders? I think you have to know who delivers the line the best because you can come into a debate saying I'm going to take him on on take Obama, for example. Joe Biden can say I'm going to take him on for considering primary in Obama in 2012. But unless you can make that attack in a coherent manner on the debate stage, it really doesn't land. I mean, Pete Buttigieg has showed he's a good debater and he can land a punch when he needs to. So you have to imagine and he, can he take will. A punch. And he can take a punch that too. Yeah. And he can take a punch and turn it back on something he's been remarkably good at is absorbing a punch that someone takes at him and then hitting it, hitting totally. back at that person. Um, so you have to imagine he will land a couple shots at Bernie Sanders and, and Senator Sanders has responded in kind to him. You know, I do think the socialist stuff does resonate with voters. You talk to voters here in Iowa, all over the country, and there are concerns about what would it mean to run against Trump with someone who is so proudly a democratic socialist. Uh, so not necessarily that there are those deep concerns, that there are concerns about what it would do to his electability. Right. Which And when in, a, in an election, when everyone, every Democrat is so focused on defeating Trump, those questions linger and can can hurt a candidate. Um, before we go, I would just 
I want to get your thoughts. I, I think somebody else to really watch and keep your eye on tonight is Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. because she was so effective in the last debate. But you have to remember, 75% of the Nevada electorate voted before that debate. So that we haven't seen the results of that. I mean, she's told us she's raised $21 million in the month of February or whatever. And But we have not yet seen the actual impact with an electorate uh, from her last successful debate in Vegas. And I'm wondering if she has another debate like that, do we see some impact in the electorate in this primary or on Super Tuesday? Yeah, the money came at the right time for her. It allowed her to get on the air in Super Tuesday states and spend more money here. And But yeah, you're right. She didn't get the Klobuchar treatment in, like she didn't, like Klobuchar got in New Hampshire where she had a great debate. Voting happened three days or four days or whatever it was later. And, and Klobuchar was kind of vaulted to a surprise third place finish. That didn't happen for Elizabeth Warren. Um, but she certainly has the chance to do it here. South Carolina is a primary state. Voters vote on Saturday. Um, so, so the possibility that another strong debate could lead to actual votes rather, rather than just money um, is something I'm, you know, she's certainly hoping for. And I think a lot of people are watching if that, if that happens here. Everybody, make sure you look at CNN.com slash politics tonight. You'll catch all of Dan's takeaways and thoughts on the big South Carolina debate. Dan, thank you always for being here. Thanks for having me. A special thanks also to our audience. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about the podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.